Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome back. Welcome back. Killer Queens here. <laughs> Sorry. Here we are. Uh, okay, so if you're new here, I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters. And we're your host. Yep, here we are. Here we are. So we are going to be doing the case of Janine and Jones. And this was suggested by Jasmine Miller from Australia. Hey, girl. Hey. Hello. Thanks for requesting it. And um, thanks for listening. Absolutely. So uh, if you never listened to us before, just uh, to let you know, we are a discussion podcast. We are just going to kind of, you know, sit around and chat with you. Yeah. Just we like to call it gal palin. We just kind of shoot the shit. It's yep. nothing too formal. Nope. It's, we try to keep it respectful, try to keep it moving. Absolutely. So, let's get into it. Oh, we should. Oh. And thank you to Sloan for the research. Yes. Yes, as always. Okay, now let's get into it. Now let's get into it. Janine Jones was a licensed vocational nurse, which I think is like an LPN. I think so. It's not an RN, obviously. Right. So maybe it's, yeah, kind of in between there. And she started working in the PICU of Bear County Hospital, which is now the University Hospital of San Antonio, from 1974 to mid-1982. Also, one of the things that, well, this is the only thing I watched on it, but one of the things that's out there, um, there's some other documentaries, you know, like Forensic Files and stuff that cover it, but there's one called Nurses That Kill. Oh, my. On Netflix. And, um, you know, if you want to now not have a laugh because of the subject matter, but just the, uh, it's a British show, but their Texas accents. The over-the-top <laughs> Texas accents. It's kind of hilarious. It's the best. Yeah. In the worst way possible. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Um, so they, they do the reenactments and I mean, really, I really feel like everybody should follow like the snapped methodology. I don't know. I just really like that where it's, you know, maybe they have like the old snapped methodology. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like where they don't have actors actually talking. Right. Just like almost silhouettes of what they're doing. It's a little blurry, maybe even like yes. we don't need too much involvement from the actors honestly you just need an idea of what happened right because you've got people talking about it you've got yeah. the talking heads it's not like just a narrator telling the story you've got you've got people telling the story so you don't need the actors i don't feel like i feel like it just kind of cheeses it up in a way it does and this one it, it really only had like i don't know maybe six different pieces of dialogue but they reused them over and over and over the same scenes. Right. And I feel like with something like this, while I do appreciate attention to detail and trying to um, really set the scene with an accent, it was, it borderlined foghorn leghorn. <laughs> it was very, very 
distracting. It was. It was very distracting. I was like, oh, gosh. I know. Anyway, that aside. This ward where she worked was for the youngest and sickest patients in the hospital. And at this time, the so that's pediatric ICU is what PICU stands for, was full of low-income kids whose parents couldn't afford the private hospital. Coworkers said that Janine was not a natural nurse. It did not come naturally to her to care for other people. She loved being the center of attention and being involved in a crisis, and she didn't like to be challenged. They said that if she was, she would either just do what she wanted to anyway, or she would just challenge whoever it was back. And she was said to be, quote-unquote, memorable because she was loud, inappropriate, opinionated, brash, and talked about sex a lot. How inappropriate. Yeah, to anyone. And mostly she talked about her own private sex life, which was obviously embellished to make her seem cooler, but it had the complete opposite effect. Yeah. Everybody's like, okay, I don't need to know. This is getting weird. It's getting weird. Yeah. It was noted that she had some psychopathic tendencies such as no empathy or sympathy, which, again, not don't you really, need that for... I was going to say, it's not going to help you in a nurse's right profession. Yeah. Like, so then you can gather that bedside manner is not going to be there. Like obviously. They said that her technical nursing skills were great. She knew medications. She knew procedures. It was like the book side of it she took to really well, but the bedside manner side of it, she just, that was non-existent for her. It didn't take long for Janine to start showing her true colors at the Bear County Hospital. She was quickly demonstrating disturbing behaviors after working, starting to work there. She was once seen taking a syringe and squirting the sign of the cross on herself and an infant. The fuck? Yeah, what are you doing? She was often, oh my God. She was often seen singing to the corpses of infants while she prepared their bodies. Oh my God. Once after a string of suspicious infant deaths, seven in two weeks, she joked that they're going to think I'm the death nurse. Okay. That's not a good joke. No, and that's bold as hell. Yeah. She even insisted on carrying the bodies of infants to the morgue herself, and once she even snatched the baby out of the grieving family's arms and ran off with it. What is she doing? Like, this is not okay behavior. No. It's, something's going on mentally. I don't know. Something's going on. Yeah. And well, and again, you know, that's psychopathic tendencies, like no empathy. These people are holding on to their baby for the very last time that they can. And you're like, okay, time's up. Like, take the next five minutes to be sad and then be done with it. What are you doing? Hey, y'all. As you may or may not know, we started this show as a hobby, and it's grown into what we hope to one day be our daily hustle. So over time, we've watched it grow more than we could have ever imagined, thanks to everyone listening, you amazing, beautiful, sweet little baby angel people. Yes, and since it has grown, we want to give the show and you the time and commitment you both deserve to keep putting out as much quality content as possible. 
and that's why we made the decision for me, Torella, to focus all my efforts on the show. And to do that, we need support from our BFFs. So we have about 5,000 subscribers from what we can tell, and not everyone who listens can or will give, and that's totally fine. But if everyone who is subscribed gave even $10 just one time, that would allow us to completely focus on the show full-time for 10 months out of the year, which we could then finally put out videos, which we've been talking about for for literally before anyone has ever even been born. Yeah. And more content in new and interesting ways. Yeah. So if you love the show and you want to give, you can support us in two ways. You can join our Patreon community. And for everyone listening who is in the Patreon, thank you so much. If you are not part of the Patreon, you get access to all of our extra episodes. You get early access to regular episodes. Uh, When we start doing ads, you'll get ad-free content. You get other perks, all kinds of stuff in the Patreon. Or you can go to our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and just click on the donate button to give a one-time donation. So Patreon is a recurring monthly membership. The donation on our website would just be a one-time donation. Either way, we feel so hashtag blessed and we are so lucky to have such an amazing community of people who get who we are and want to gab about these cases with us every week. We love you and we are so excited for what's in store for 2020. Thank you so much for listening. Lilas. Bye. Christopher Hogeda was 15 months old when he came to Bear County Hospital. And it says some of the names I think they changed in, in the reporting just because they're so young. Christopher had been in and out of the hospital his whole life and his condition was unstable. He had been a blue baby at birth and was diagnosed with an enlarged heart, large bronchial tubes, and a hole in his heart. Despite all of this, his parents said that Christopher was a survivor. Christopher had been transferred to Bear County several months prior, hoping for improvement. In May of 1981, he went into cardiac arrest in the PICU of Bear County Hospital. His parents were called to come to the hospital, but they had to find a car since they didn't own one. Unfortunately, Chris died on May 21, 1981, and when his parents were offered an autopsy, they declined, saying that Chris had suffered enough in life. And that's one thing that, um, who was that guy? Was he a journalist in The Nurses That Kill? I think so. They talked to him a lot, and he was an American. Yes, and he said that a lot of the parents of the children that died under Janine's care did not ask any questions because they believed whatever the hospital told them. And so when the hospital was like, oh, you know, this or that happened, whatever it was, they trusted that. But they also didn't have the means to have an investigation done or, you know, they didn't have the means to hire an attorney to ask questions, get records, stuff like that. So that's an area that I think she was taking advantage of, too, probably. Oh, for sure. Lisa Rivera was three three weeks old when she was admitted with chronic diarrhea and vomiting. She appeared stable, and her illness seemed minor, until she started to ooze blood from her IV site. Her blood pressure dropped, and her heart stopped. 
The doctors injected her with epinephrine to start her heart, but it didn't work. They tried to defibrillate her, but nothing worked. She was the eighth child to die in three months. There had been an incline in deaths since Chris Hogeda. Roberto Sanchez was three months old when he was admitted for diarrhea, dehydration, and chemical imbalance. Three days after his admission, Dr. Lawrence Hugis was called to his bedside two times. Both times it was after 3 p.m., and each time there was bleeding from puncture sites, one site appeared clogged. Janine Jones was the nurse working with him, and she was going to flush the line when the doctor asked her if she was giving the right dose to flush the line. She almost heparinized Robert if who just hadn't stopped her, and Janine claimed it was a miscalculation. So heparin is a blood thinner, and it can cause uncontrolled bleeding. So what she would do is give patients injections of things that they did not need, and it may have started as something where she was trying to psych in while you were sleeping when everybody's like, oh, he's such a hero. He saved the squirrel that fell out of the tree or whatever. And then he finally is like, well, I knocked that squirrel out of his nest or whatever. Like a rock. Yeah, Yeah. he did it on purpose so that he could be the hero that saved it or whatever. So I don't know if it started as her trying to do stuff to then come in and be the hero or whatever, but... She did end up taking it too far, and maybe when she took it too far, she decided she liked that outcome. I don't know. But she would give different injections or whatever. So what happened in this situation was they noticed that Roberto was bleeding more than he should have been, and she just said it was a miscalculation, you know, didn't mean to do that, but that was maybe the first time that somebody really paid attention to what she was doing. Now, did they report it? No. Did anybody stop it? No. Did they maybe pay closer attention to her to see if it was going to happen again? No. 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 So, staff began to notice that kids would appear to be recovering, but then suddenly decline and decline hard. So, it's like they would be doing a lot better and then just like, boom, nosedive. And the children who died appeared to be random, except that they all deteriorated after change and shift at 3 p.m. Guess what shift Janine worked? Right. 3 to 11. They seemed fine, and then they would take a turn after that shift change. The hospital ordered a total review of the unit, and they found that a statistically improbable number of children died in the care of Nurse Janine Jones. So she's the common denominator in all of these cases. And they don't do anything about it. They don't do anything about it. In 1981, children were having heart attacks for no reason. On her shift, there was a sharp increase in the death rate. On a chart the hospital investigators created, there was a curve in the rate before and after she left, like a bell curve over a hill where it was at its highest when Jones was working. So again, you've got clear evidence that... So obvious. Yeah, before she started working there, it was lower. And after she stopped, it was low again. And while she was there, it shoots up. I don't understand. An expert analyzed the data and noted that a child was 10.7 times more likely to die on her shift. Oh, my God. That's huge. 
On 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift, there would be children who would have sudden seizures and cardiac arrest, and Jones was always nearby. Almost every code blue was on the 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift since Christopher Hogata's death. So that's kind of where they marked the start of it. And that's where in the Nurses Who Kill episode, I think, the reenactment of the nurse, I don't know if it's like the charge nurse or whatever. Is that like, like found her out kind of. Yeah. And she's like, well, I have noticed that every time a child is in danger, you seem to be Johnny on the spot every time. <laughs> it's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. And she's like, well, if you have got something to say to me, then you ought to just say it. And the other nurse is like, well, I reckon I just did. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny. Like, okay. Dr. Kenneth Copeland noted that the hospital used to have maybe three to four deaths a month in the PICU, but in August of that year, there were nine deaths, and in September, there were 13. Oh, my God. The PICU's death rate was up 75%. And, like, heart attacks are not a contagious event. No. You know, it's like there could be, I guess, other things that, could, you know, lead to that or whatever, but... And I can understand maybe letting Chris's slip because he was born with a hole in his heart. He had an enlarged heart. Like, there were heart pre-existing oh, yes. heart conditions there. Mm-hmm. But everybody else, yeah, they're not going to catch his heart attack. Uh, right, yeah. And, yeah. like, sure, there are other illnesses or whatever that could, you know... Play into something like that, right? If you get this sort of infection or whatever... If it goes untreated, you know, it could get to your cause a heart attack or something like that. Sure. But uh, they're not finding anything like that. They're not finding any type of illness that could be transmitted to other children. You know, they're not finding that. There's something else going on. Right. It's. And and she worked there from 72 to 84. Like, I don't understand this. Mm -mm. So Dr. Kenneth Copeland also made it clear that there are very few causes of unexplained bleeding in a baby. It's especially rare when the baby was okay and then suddenly starts unexplained bleeding. He said one cause of bleeding in a baby would be DIC or disseminated intravascular coagulation, which can cause clots where they shouldn't be, and it's a very serious issue, but it does have routine treatment. In the case of DIC, heparin is used to break up the clots. Heparin is also always kept on hand to break up clots that can form in the IV line and is given in very tiny doses to flush out the catheter. So it may not have been unusual for her to be accessing the heparin because you might have to use it to flush the line. But it is a blood thinner, so too much can cause uncontrolled bleeding. And isn't it one of those medicines that you have to have another person in there with you while you are... Didn't they say that in the documentary? There was one. And oh, like, maybe. You can't get it. It's not like she could just go in there by herself into... Oh, I think you're talking about the succinylcholine. Are you serious? Yes. Do they use it? Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Because that's, that's something that is normally used in, a, in anesthetics because mm -hmm, it can mm -hmm. paralyze you, essentially. So that one is supposed to be locked away, and they said it was locked away, but she still got into it. So... Knowing that heparin can cause uncontrolled bleeding, and we know that we have babies that have uncontrolled bleeding when they shouldn't, and it's always under her care, and we know that she's using that to flush the lines, 
And we know that she's almost, quote unquote, given too much and somebody caught her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The hospital did perform tests to determine if this was the cause of the infant deaths, but the tests were inconclusive. Great. Since there was still no definitive reason for the deaths, the hospital put new procedures in place to try and combat their rising infant death rates. Heparin amounts were reduced and nurses were required to administer heparin with a peer to prevent errors. You're right. Nurses had to have another nurse with them to get medications, but heparin was widely available because they used it in tiny amounts to flush the IVs. Lab techs tested everything heparin, IV tubing, and other equipment to make sure, you know, is there anything in there that's that's getting into the children's systems that shouldn't be anything like that. From May through October, 18 patients died. All but one died during that 3 to 11 p.m. shift. It seems like they're, go- they're doing a lot of stuff to try to fix this problem. Yeah. And they're even, like, looking at did we order almost like faulty or contaminated IV tubing? But they and like they can't see the forest for the trees. Right. And they they know for sure that it's the 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift. How about we start talking to all those people that work on that shift? And if somebody had reported her ov- overdosing almost, then that would be like, uh-oh, it's probably mm-hmm. Janine. Yeah. And I mean, she could have even played it as because like she said when the doctor called her out on it oh this was just a miscalculation or whatever but we also know that medications dosages procedures that was like her strong suit so obviously this is not a miscalculation on her part but not 64 of them you know what i mean right yeah so it it could have she could have played it that way i guess if she wanted to but they're not even specifically asking any questions of the people on that shift. Right. And furthermore, they know that she was the nurse for every single one of these children. Mm-hmm. They don't ask her any questions. I don't okay, get it. Dan. Okay. Yeah. Occasionally, Jones would be the one to swoop in and save the child she had injected. When a child was saved by Jones, she gloated and boasted about how she saved their life despite obviously being the one who put them in danger in the first place. So she would run around being like, I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. Like, this is the part in the documentary where the the person that they're interviewing says she would be like, I did it, I did it, I did it. And then you'd see her going, I did it, I did it, I did it. Yeah, and the woman's like, what did you do? She's like, I just saved all those, them babies' lives. Run out there and ask his mama or whatever and then it's the lady's just... like you mean you and everyone else <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so like almost forrest gump like can't sit here yeah mixed with like yeah like foghorn leghorn goodness gracious yeah it was pretty bad we're gonna keep doing it we are it's it's hard not to and if you watch it you'll see why and then you won't be able to stop no it's hard Janine was smart enough to pick drugs with a short half-life and the half-life is just determines how long it stays in your system These drugs left the system quickly and would make it difficult to detect in the system after a short period of time. So if they did perform tests, a lot of times they didn't. But if they did, it would be hard to trace it back to her. Yeah, because then it probably, it may not even still be in the system. So it wouldn't register like, oh, well, it couldn't have been this. You know, we didn't find it in their system or whatever. Despite there being new 
procedures in place where nurses had to have the peer with them to administer heparin, there was still a large amount of it being used on the ward. And the large amount that was being used caused the hospital to investigate even further. Rolando Santos was one month old on December 27th when his parents took him to a clinic near their poor farming community an hour away from Bear County Hospital. The clinic diagnosed him with a cold and sent him home, but his parents weren't satisfied with this and drove him to the hospital instead. Rolando was having difficulty breathing. So sad. It's like, you know these parents are going to come back and be like, I wish I'd never, you know... It's like, how could you know? But, you know, he's having trouble breathing. They're like, this isn't just a cold. There's something going on here. And you trust the hospital to take care of your child. Exactly, because you should be able to. Once at Bear, he was diagnosed with pneumonia. While at the hospital, Rolando had a few good days where he started showing signs of improvement, and then suddenly he had a seizure. He was stabilized and got a brain scan on December the 29th, and the scan showed no abnormalities that would explain him having a seizure. On January 6th, Rolando suddenly took a turn and was bleeding uncontrollably. He was quickly tested for DIC, but it came up negative. Other causes were considered, and at the top of the list was heparin. The doctor removed the arterial line to reduce the chances of a heparin accident. On January 9th, Rolando deteriorated again under Jones's care. This time, he was bleeding much more. All of the old puncture wounds, heel sticks, mucous membranes, eyes, nose, genitals. Any time he was touched, he would bleed uncontrollably. His blood pressure was falling, and the only option was to give him protamine, which is the antagonist of heparin, so it stops the effects of the heparin. Since they weren't sure if it was the heparin, the doctor started with a small dose and added more and more. The doctor started with 100 milligrams, and at first nothing happened. And the doctor said in the documentary that after open-heart surgery, a baby would need less than a bottle of protamine, which is his point of reference for how much should be used. And he said that he used a whole bottle on Rolando without change, and then started to slowly push in a second bottle until the bleeding finally stopped. So that's a shit ton of heparin. Yes, exactly. The doctor ordered that Rolando be transferred due to his suspicions for foul play. He wasn't going to leave Rolando in the PICU for this to happen again. A hematology report showed that Rolando had a hundred times more heparin than should be given to a baby for open heart surgery. And he didn't even have open heart surgery. He, he had, had a pneumonia. pneumonia. Yeah. So why are they, again, he shouldn't have any heparin in his system at all. Like, unless they're just flushing the line, but that's just to flush the line. That's not supposed to go in him. So the hospital was worried that they were going to be sued. So they asked all of the vocational nurses like Janine Jones to resign. And then they staffed the wards with RNs and did no further investigation. So in 1982, Janine was allowed to resign with no disciplinary actions taken and nothing to keep her from going to nurse elsewhere. So that's so irresponsible to just say, look, we know, we're 99% sure that there's a staff member that's doing this. 
And even if it is somebody who's doing it by accident because they don't know what the fuck they're doing, that's dangerous too. Yeah, because you're sending them out to do it somewhere else. Exactly. So either it's somebody who knows that they're doing this and they're doing it on purpose, or it's somebody who's so fucking bad at this that they're killing almost everybody that they come in contact with. Here's the thing, though. Just resign. Go work somewhere else. We won't stop you from doing that. We will take the necessary precautions here at our hospital to make sure it doesn't happen here at our hospital. But like everybody else, that's not our problem. Yeah. They need to figure it out. It becomes your somebody else's problem now. Exactly. And again, this is the part of the documentary where Janine is having a conversation with, I guess, the charge nurse. And she's like, well, I guess I'm out of here. What do you have? Or what are you going to say about me once I leave? And the charge nurse is like, well, I guess I'm just going to say goodbye. <laughs> Man. Yes. It's just. They need to get some Academy Awards or whatever. Yes. They do use the word fixin', which is something that the uh, Southerners do say. They're yeah. fixing to do something. Yeah, that was accurate. She, she was, was like, I was fixing to leave here anyway. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you guys. Yeah, for it doesn't that. make up for what has already happened and what is continuing. No to amount of fixing twos is going to fix that. No. No. But it helps. It does. When this happened, when they had all the vocational nurses leave, RNs took over, there was a striking difference in the death rate at the hospital. The day she left, the death rate dropped back to normal. <laughs> Janine Jones moved to Kerrville, Texas, and she took a job at a pediatric clinic that was started by Dr. Kathy Holland. Kerrville was known for its summer camps, but otherwise there weren't a lot of kids, so there wasn't like a pediatric ICU or really a pediatric clinic. This was the only, this was only the second pediatric clinic to open in that area. And also, if you remember, Kerrville is where Darley Routier's trial was. Tiny, tiny, tiny. Very small town. So let's go back to early life. Janine Ann Jones was born on July the 13th, 1950. She was put up for adoption by her birth mother and was adopted by a nightclub owner and his wife. Janine says she was the black sheep of the family and that she never really felt accepted. Her early life was not easy. When she was young, her father died of cancer after refusing treatment. Then her 16-year-old brother who she considered to be her best friend, was accidentally killed while he was making a pipe bomb in the family garage. Why would he be making a pipe bomb in the family garage? Right? That's... I mean, nobody should die, but... So dangerous. So dangerous. And the the woman, was she like a clinical... She was a criminologist or something. When she was talking about it, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't hear the whole sentence, so I was just like... But hearing the first half of the sentence, I was like... But she was like, her brother managed to kill himself. And I was like, that's kind of not a cool way to say that. But then she said when he was making a pipe bomb and it blew up. But still managed to kill himself. It's almost like, yeah, it's almost like, well, you managed to get yourself dressed this morning, even though you're really stupid. I don't know. It just sounded weird. I was like, that's a weird way to say that. But it was an accident. He didn't mean to. It just. But I mean, that is one of it's a side effect of making a pot, pipe bomb, you know what I mean? What do you need to make a pipe bomb for? I think that that's illegal. Yeah, what's the point of that other than to unless, blow something up? Unless you are just ill-equipped to make baby gender reveals and you accidentally mm, make that, a pipe bomb. Yep, that does happen. That was on, if you haven't listened to the mixtape, that was one of them that we covered. That actually happened. Like a family was trying to make this like 
gender reveal things like gunpowder and yes. stuff yes to shoot out the color i guess and they literally accidentally made a pipe bomb and killed the grandmother the grandmother yeah insane so like instantly died yeah crazy with all of this trauma janine's mother coped by drinking to excess so she became an alcoholic and that just made i think just made things harder on janine sure like you know, her father passed away. Her brother, who was her best friend, passed away. Now she doesn't really have anybody to take care of her because her mother, I would guess, I mean, if she's a functioning alcoholic, but that comes in waves. It doesn't always, yeah. she, you know, she can't stay on top of that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely, that's definitely tough to go through all of those things. When Janine was old enough to work, she started out as a beautician. Do people still call it beautician? A lot of people do. Really? Yes. A beautician. What else do they call it? Hairdresser? Um, hairdresser. That's a big one here. I prefer cosmetologist or hairstylist, but yeah, you get it all the time. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm guessing that's what a beautician, that's what they're referring to, though, is she did hair. I would think so, yeah. yeah. In 1968, when she was 19 years old, Janine married her high school sweetheart, and they quickly had a baby. Her husband enlisted in the Navy as a way to provide for his growing family. But while her husband was gone, Janine had a number of affairs, and she was not shy about bragging about them to people. Oh, my. But when he returned home, her husband actually did not like the fact that she was having affairs. That's surprising. I'm not sure why. Yeah. I don't know what the problem is. Yeah. Uh, but he was not too happy about that. And so they filed for divorce in 1974. But in 1977, they reconciled and Janine ended up getting pregnant and subsequently giving birth to their second child. Oh, wow. Who saw that coming? Yeah. Janine, though, could not be bothered to take care of these children. Well, of course not. That kind of dampens her plans, correct, Amundo? I mean, how is she supposed to have, like, super hot wild sex all over the place? True. And tell everybody about it. True. Kids kind of make that a little bit difficult. They're not going to help it, that's for sure. No. She abandoned her kids and oh. left them with her adoptive mother to raise. Oh. She was just like, see ya. Her adoptive mother, who she knows is an alcoholic. I don't know if at that point she had gotten sober or anything, but still. Well, I mean, she's statistically speaking she's probably at the latter part of her life right by herself does not need to and where's the where's the husband or the uh father of these children is he still in the navy i wonder i don't know maybe like are you kidding me and i feel like this is it's it's not uncommon for someone who if you've had it done to you like there's got to be some abandonment issues for her to either break the cycle or perpetuate the cycle right yeah so it's not it's not all that surprising i guess but it's really sad it is sad really I mean, sad yeah because those poor kids now they've got a whole trauma you know that, that has started for them right sucks around this time janine started to become fearful that the dyes and chemicals in the hair products at work would give her cancer not worried about kids or anything but she decided to stop beautitioning sure and she wanted to get into a new line of work and that's when she chose nursing you would think though i mean psychopaths are very good at blending in and appearing to be like mimicking mm -hmm. empathy and compassion 
Mm-hmm. But you might, one might think that when choosing a career, you would think, what am I good at? Well, I'm not good at caring about anybody. I'm also not good about um, making somebody feel like comforted or at ease. I'll go into nursing. Exactly. And yeah, like you said, the whole psychopath thing. I mean, maybe she looked around and said, what, what career could I get into that would give the impression that I have a soul, right? Or yeah, somebody that, you know, I think for her, it seems like she just wanted to be like clapped on the back and be like, you did a great job. You're so selfish. You're so, such a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I help yeah, people. Nursing. I'm a party planner. <laughs> she could have been a nurse or a party planner. Yeah. Those are the two most compassionate jobs you can have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Selfless. Uh, exactly. Janine was described by many as rough and ready. Oh, <gasps> Oh, my goodness. Our aunt used to wake us up with that song every time we would stay over there. Okay. He's rough and ready. Here comes rough and ready. I won't sing the whole thing, but it was very fun. It was very fun. And that's how she would wake us up. Yes. And we adored it. And then her daughter was like, mom, and just so (laughs) angry. Yes. It did not have the same effect. Oh, my God. It's so cute. Yeah. You're so funny. Yeah. But we only got it like once a year, probably. And Alexis probably got it every day. Yeah. It would wear thin, probably. But (laughs) I enjoyed it. We thought it was precious. (laughs) Yes. Um, They said she cursed like a sailor. Mm. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. I also... Actually, I didn't read the study, but my husband said that somebody at his work read a study. (laughs) Yeah, I'm questioning the validity of the study. That women who basically curse like a sailor are more intelligent. Oh. And he was like, see? Fucking A. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It makes you sound really smart, too. Oh, sure. We've gotten those comments already. Yep. But we're not even old enough to be out of high school, so. True. Maybe one day. She loved to talk about sex quote unquote despite being unattractive herself that's what people said like in articles and stuff that's That's, what people said that's tough yeah sloan said she found that comment on numerous sources everybody's calling her ugly u g l y (laughs) yeah just kidding i can say that because she has an ugly heart she does so yeah i said that i told my husband that because i just thought that was interesting that people are like so weird she talks about sex a lot she's ugly like, well, she's got to have beer-flavored nipples. Bingo. Bingo. But, I mean, most... I feel like everybody has sex at some point, pretty much. Well, everybody's got a type. What I find attractive, you might not. You yeah. You could be the ripest peach, and somebody's going to be like, I don't even like peaches. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Being ugly or attractive or whatever are just all subjective. Totally. Like, whatever. Yeah. But I told my husband that that was in there or whatever... And he was like, well, okay, so she's a murderer, so let's just talk bad about her. And I was like, well, she did maybe murder 60 children. And he was like, fuck her. (laughs) Really changed your tune there. Yeah. Chelsea McClellan was 15 months old, and her parents... It's just astonishing the the actual ages of these children. You know what I mean? Like, there should never be an age. Older children should not. I'm not saying that. But like when you say their ages and it's like 15 months old or three weeks old. Yes. How could anybody want to hurt a baby? These are precious babies. Yeah, they're they're just babies. Like these are all infants. It's so sad. 
And Chelsea McClellan was the patient that was really the catalyst for an actual investigation where people actually paid attention and, like, fucking did something about it. Mm -hmm. So she was 15 months old, and her parents were super excited to have a female doctor like Kathy Holland. And the McClellans were among the first patients at her new practice when she opened it. Chelsea had been born a preemie, and she did have some breathing issues. She was brought into the doctor by her mother as one of the first appointments of the day for just a routine checkup, like literally in and out, like, making this appointment, and then we've got errands to run or something, you know? Like, like a physical, right? Yeah, I mean, just, just check her over. In. Yeah, make sure everything's still going okay. So Janine goes in to catch Chelsea up on her routine vaccinations. Oh, this is so scary because the boys both have vaccinations scheduled for this week. I'm like, I love our nurse, gonna, though. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I love our nurse. She's given them shots many times. But God, this shit is so scary. It's, so it's scary. like, yeah, because you walk in and you say, okay, here's my kid. Here's the vaccinations, you know, like. And you literally, I trust like, you. Yeah, put their lives in their hands. Yeah, like you're, they're got a syringe full of, you're assuming what they're supposed to have. Totally. And like. So fucking scary. But after Chelsea was injected, she stopped breathing and started to seize. She was taken to the hospital by ambulance and then transferred to a specialist. Janine Jones rode in the ambulance and Dr. Holland and the parents followed. (gasps) See, and that's the thing, too, about fucking Janine. It's like all about her, right? Yes. She's got to be there with her the patient who's not even her fucking child. No, that should be her mom and dad yes. there. Like in the ambulance with her. I would be like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm getting in there. Like if I have to sit on your fucking lap, I'm sitting on your lap, but I'm getting in there with my kid. Like mm-hmm. get the fuck out of here. It's improper. It's disgusting. Well, yeah, she's crossed so many lines. It's not even funny. No, just wait. Oh, no. So while in the ambulance alone with Janine, Chelsea crashed again. Why did they leave her in the ambulance alone with her? Where was the paramedic? Well, yeah, but I guess, I, I mean, who knows what kind of sweet talking Janine was doing. I've got this. I, I've i been caring for this child. You know, like, who knows? Yeah, because if they transferred her to the hospital and then they're transferring her somewhere else, she had to have been in good enough condition to go by ambulance, right? You think. So, yeah, and then they leave her alone with Janine for how long, and then she crashes again? Jesus. The ambulance driver knew something more was wrong than usual and pulled over to alert Dr. Holland, and then she got into the ambulance. Again, also, yeah, why would a doctor not... So was was there not a paramedic in the back at all? It doesn't sound like it's it. just somebody driving, and they were like, well, Janine's a nurse, so she can handle it? Well, but I would think that they should have... If it was me, I would be more comfortable with the doctor being in there rather than the exactly, nurse. Exactly, yeah. If nobody, if a paramedic's not going in there, then yeah, the doctor should be there. I right. Would think. That's weird to me. So Dr. Holland gets in. Chelsea was in complete cardiac arrest, no heartbeat, and she was not responding to CPR. The ambulance took Chelsea to the nearest hospital in Comfort, Texas. Upon arrival at the hospital in comfort, Jones barked orders in the hospital and took charge like she was the doctor. Despite the efforts of hospital staff, there was no response from Chelsea after 20 minutes in the hospital. She was pronounced dead on September 17, 1982, and her death was attributed to SIDS. And the thing is, whatever 
Jones injected her with, if she had let someone know, they could have done something to counteract it or count, you know, like there's a good possibility, I would guess, that there's got to be something that would, you know, fix the problem instantly. Yeah. But it's all about fucking what help, what gets Janine off, which apparently everybody in town knows about. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. You can read it in her erotic memoirs. Yeah, no matter how ugly she is. <laughs> so weird. People say that. So yeah, weird. I'm still kind of thrown with that one, but. Okay, so SIDS, though. Sudden infant death syndrome, no? Yes. SIDS is a term used to describe sudden and unexpected death of a baby less than one year old in which the cause was not obvious before investigation. These deaths often happen during sleep or in the baby's sleep area. That doesn't match up. Not any of it. 15 months old. Yeah. She's awake. She's getting... Like, I don't understand why... It literally happened the moment she was injected. So if you do think... I mean... I'm sure that pe- some people do have adverse reactions pretty immediately to a vaccination. Like, But I would think that that would be, I mean, these are common right, I would injections. Think that, yeah, like, it'd I would be very low likelihood that anything like that's going to happen. Totally. Or at the very most, like uh, breaking out because you're allergic or something right. like that. Yeah, but not something so allergic that it's life-threatening like that. Seizing and like... And it's immediate. Like, yeah. it stops her heart right. immediately. But it's just weird that they didn't link it to that initially. Like, mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, well, it must be SIDS. Like... So sad. That doesn't make any sense to me. No. Terrifying. After Chelsea died and was buried, her mother went to visit her grave at the cemetery. When she got there, Janine was there. That fucking bitch. Yeah. And she was on her knees wailing loudly. And when Chelsea's mom asked her what she was doing there, Janine looked at her blankly, said nothing, and left. And, like, initially, she was really thankful for Janine because she thought that Janine was, like, doing everything that she could to save her child because her child had this, like, weird, unexplained medical episode or whatever. And so she kind of got, she kept in touch with Janine, I think, a little bit. And she even, like, made a public statement and was like, I'm so thankful for Dr. Holland and Janine Jones and all this stuff. But then that day that she went to the cemetery and Janine was there... She's like, why are you here? Why are you crying? Like, this is just weird, like, you know? Uncontrollably you, sobbing. Yeah. And then, and then being rude to me, like, she could have said something to her. But she went there to put flowers on the grave. And she noticed that, like, they had been, like, they would go and leave stuff there, like flowers or whatever it was. But she noticed that stuff was missing. And so she figured out that Janine was going there and, like, taking stuff. Stealing from the grave? From the grave. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh. In one month, seven children stopped breathing and or had seizures in Dr. Holland's clinic and required emergency services. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Seven in a month. And there's not, they don't have a big population of children there anyway. No. And what percentage of that? Yeah. And this is, is this is not the hospital either. This is just a, a doctor's office. This is a, a pediatric doctor's office. So kids are coming in here for like colds, sinus infections, ear infections, routine vaccinations. Sure. Yeah. And they're walking in, you know, maybe they have a stomach bug or whatever. Like, what kind of stuff do you take your kid to the doctor for? 
they shouldn't have a seizure during that. Like, they're not going in for super life-threatening things. They're not already in a coma. They, they're not going in there because they've fallen down the stairs and hit their head on something. You know, it's like right, right. they're going in there for pretty routine kind of stuff. There should not be anything like this. There should be none. Right. Questions started arising and investigators reopened Chelsea's case. All right, so that is where we're going to stop for today. Cliffhanger. Darn. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> exactly. I know. Um, so, yeah, so we'll stop here. We will go into the investigation and everything next time. If you want part two, right this very second, cannot wait till next week. Totally get ya. Just jump on the Patreon. It'll be there. Uh, $3 a month it and makes, higher gets you early access. It makes me want to say, because we just went and saw Knives Out, and I want to just say, like, if you want this episode and all of the accoutrements, <laughs> hop on the Patreon. Yeah. The, uh, apparently the, the guy in that has a pretty... Daniel Craig has a, they call, they refer to it as a Kentucky Fried Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> pretty thick accent then yes and it's like i guess supposed to be comical it's pretty funny and it yeah so um yeah if you want that you can go ahead and jump on the patreon so three dollars a month or more gets you early access to multi-part episodes well it gets you early access to any episodes that we post and then um you also get an extra like a bonus episode per month Mm mm-hmm and the $5 level gets you the murder mixtape every week, too. So that's our extra show where we just, once a week, gab about some true crime headlines. So if you want more content, that's where it it is. Yes. Yeah. So join us or don't. Either way, totally fine. Either way. So if you can wait, if you're a person who has the virtue of patience. Yes. Then, you know, catch you next week. Sure. Either way, we hope to catch you next week, and we appreciate the shit out of you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.